If you would join me there, 1 John chapter 5 will be our text of focus this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I always invite you to open the Scriptures with me and to follow along in the words. I'm going to point out some words and try and and provide some um, understanding of, of the words and the form of the words that lead to the, to the understanding that I think John is clearly pointing us toward. The title of the message this morning is The Unparalleled Witness of the Father. Do you remember we've been looking into the courtroom a little bit, looking at the procedure and the process of uh, witness, um, a character witness, a, um, um, a, a professional witness, a lay witness, all these kind of things, special witness. We've been noticing how in our text, in verses 6, 7, and 8, how John has been setting forth these witnesses that prove and testify that Jesus is the Son of God, that He alone is where we place our faith and trust for salvation. And then again, John continues on in the text, and as he's beginning to wrap up this letter, at least at this topic in a section, so to speak, we're going to look at verses 9, 10, 11 and 12, and kind of close out this thought that John is wrapping up. He's been building up in his uh, giving the testimony of witnesses so that there has been an increasing, surmounting testimony. He's saying that they're all true. They all can be believed. And now he comes to the testimony that's unparalleled, or the witness, of the Father, the Father in heaven, God the Father. We're going to look at that this morning. With, we go with me one more time briefly in prayer before we begin seeking to understand his word. Father in heaven, thank you for the scriptures that you've given us. Thank you for the, the, just the ample opportunity that we have to have copies of your word before us, in front of us, to look at, to study daily in our lives. And we pray that we would use them, that we'd be in them often to seek to understand what it is you want us to know from them. Lord, thank you for making your word plain, clear, that literal interpretation of the text shows us your meaning. Thank you for giving this to us, Lord. And I pray that we would each humbly, with heart softens, be prepared to be changed by your word. Apply it to our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I don't mean to be entirely crass to you. This might take your breath a minute if I say this. But in an unashamed and a very loving way, as a pastor, I love to be with the saints when they pass into glory. I love to be with Christians when they die. I would have wanted to be with Cleve a while ago when he passed. He's a believer. His profession was faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation. Church, the scriptures teach us that Cleve has eternal life based on his profession of faith in the word of God. It's not any sort of sick and gross and crass reason other than in that moment to try and comfort and remind people of the truths of the scripture and to not have much of an earthly doubt. To be by somebody like Cleve's side when they passes from this life into eternity in the presence of the Savior is an entirely special thing. It doesn't mean that it's without grieving. It doesn't mean it's without difficulty for loved ones and those around us. But the reality of what is unfolding before our eyes in that moment, everything up until then in Scripture, everything in Scripture here is so important for those critical moments in life. 
I wanted to be with him when he passed. I was unable to because of the circumstances surrounding the virus and some other things. Not knowing exactly when that time would be, but I'm thankful for the peaceful ushering of him into the presence of his Savior. Nothing, church, if you miss anything else, this is what the text is helping us understand. Nothing is more important than li- in life than possessing eternal life. When you look in the mirror today to see what your appearance is like and doing, I hope you've done that already. (laughs) When you go and look in the mirror today and don't kid me, I know you're going to get in the car and flip down the visor and check out the mirror, right? Maybe some of us guys will be a little bit more uh, suave about that, right? We'll wait till you get home, glance in the mirror as you walk in the house. When you look at the mirror, and you look at what your appearance is like and how important that is to you, when you we consider what it is that you are working so incredibly hard to accomplish in this life, when you're thinking about the coming work week and the projects and the things that you're in the middle of, when you think about how important those things are to you, when you weigh what is of most importance to you in this earthly world, I want to ask you to stop and think about Cleve Hill on that Saturday night just over a week ago. Because in that very moment before he went home to be with his Savior, it didn't make any difference at all the accomplishments and the importance in this earthly life. In that moment of time, what was important is whether or not he truly possessed eternal life. This is what was important. I want you to consider that because I think John is working to remind confused Christians in 1 John of the important reality that Jesus is the Son. Faith in Him for salvation is it. There is nothing else. There is no other way about it. And it encourages them with this. It makes no difference. The only thing that mattered is that Brother Cleve had eternal life because he had the Son. And Scripture teaches us that he who has the Son has life. The focus of the text this morning as we zoom in a little bit more on these passages, this passage, is on the one entirely crucial thing that is very clear. And the question that's presented in John's writing is, how can I know I have eternal life? John, through his word, does not leave that to be an enigma for us. He provides the answer for us. And according to John, God himself has testified in answer to this question. Look at the words of the text with me. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Let me just lead us reading through these. If we confess the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath a Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Folks, we've been talking, I remind you again, we've been talking about proving a case by the testimony of witness. 
If you weren't here and with us this last week, I'd encourage you to go get the, the message recording or listen online to the message last week where we studied these verses together prior to this text. They work really well together. They're meant to go that way. That's the way that we've been written. And, and last week's text and message will help provide even a deeper understanding of this week's. And so we're going we're gonna to come right off of last week and pick up where we left off and we're going to see, pick up this theme. If, if there were ever, if there ever was any testimony in the courtroom of life that we ought to listen to, John is saying that it ought to be the testimony of God the Father testifying of the Son. So according to God's testimony, the way to have eternal life is to have the Son. This is how you know you are born again. And so now John is not trying to, remember, persuade people to believe in Christ. That would be a good theme. That would be a good effort. But that's not what John is doing here. Instead, what John is doing is trying to work to reassure and encourage believers that they indeed are born again if they have the Son. He's encouraging believers who are confused by the, her- the heretical teaching of Gnostics of the time that came out of the church that they were in. And so he's encouraging them in chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to believers who were just being tempted to doubt. They were struggling. They were being told by others, you can't really know. I mean, Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. The Holy Spirit came at his baptism and it left before he died on the cross. And John writes them and says, no, let's get this straight. Let's understand you can be at peace. You can be assured of your security in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so in a legal case, the jury, remember, listens to the witness for the purpose of understanding and then making a determination on whether or not the defendant is guilty or innocent. So the witness is key in understanding in the court of law. And there are different types of witnesses that John brought forth. It was the baptism, it was the blood, it was the witness of the Spirit, all these different things in the previous verses. But now this morning, the witness that's called to testify is none other than God Him self. God's witness, folks, about Christ is more than adequate evidence to produce confident faith in eternal life. And so firstly, we see number one of two, we see in verse nine, the unparalleled witness of the father to the believer. Here is the witness witnessing. Who is he witnessing to? The unparalleled witness of the father is to the believer. He's standing before us as believers, and he's witnessing of these things. And although verse 9 presents a new point in the chapter, it's not unrelated to the previous point that's being presented that we have studied. Actually, the threefold witnesses uh, agreement in verses 6 through 8 is really indeed also the witness of the Father. And this is what we're going to look at mostly this morning, the witness of the Father. The difference is verse 9 emphasizes three truths concerning the witness of the Father. Here's the first of the three of the unparalleled witness of the Father to the believer. 
The first of the three is the Father's witness in comparison to the witness of men. Here you have the witness of God the Father, and you have witness of just mankind. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear which one should be believed without question. The text says, if we receive the witness of men. Notice that two-letter word there, if. This is key. The if is not suggesting a questionable condition. Like, if their testimony is true, the if here is rather assuming a fact. And this phrase could be, you could rightly translate it this way, and it would remain correct. Since we receive. So not like if we receive the testimony, since we have received the testimony. Okay, you get this in society today, right? Within our society, we are wholly based on mutual acceptance of the word of men and women around us. Disagree? Or agree? Hold on, let me show it to you. In society today that we live in right now, you would, you would know very little about the political state of our country if it was not for the, look up here, witness or testimony of those around us. How many of you spend days upon days in Washington, D.C.? How many of you sit through all the legislative actions? How many of you are involved with things on a day-to-day -day basis? Not too many. Is it safe to say that? And so in our social society and culture today, there is much that we claim to understand and know and make decisions on based on what? The testimony and the witness of other men and women. That's our culture today in general. Yet so many are quick to surmise or, or, or to express their knowledge of truth based on the testimony of fallible man and woman. Nevertheless, our society really could not function if it did not assume the truthfulness of others. We refer to this also in our communication as giving the benefit of the doubt. We want to love, we want to assume the best and the truth from others, and we understand that not all that is said and spoken by all is truth, and so we work to be discerning of these things. But our life is constantly trying to weigh the, and balance and reconcile the testimony and the witness of other folks. Fact is, we do accept the witness of man in a number of ways. Have you ever gone and had a, a notary public, you know, on a, on a document before? Or, or you've had someone else sign as a witness on a will? Or maybe you have watched eyewitness news? Or you have signed close to a loved one or a friend's name on a marriage license? We're constantly basing our society on the witness and the testimony of one another. And the witness of testimony of another is supposed to mean something in society. And here, John is telling us something that's not foreign to our thinking and our practice. Other than he's setting forth an infallible witness, the, the God the Father as a witness to Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And our faith in Him not being misplaced. So we see the Father's witness in comparison to the witness of men. There's a difference there. 
One can always be trusted, and others were constantly discerning. We also see the unparalleled witness of the Father to the believer in, in that his witness is superior to the witness of men. He goes a little further. The text says, the witness of God is what? You see it. It's greater. The witness of God is greater. God's witness is greater than man's witness because God himself is greater. Not that he has necessarily any more gained insight or knowledge or experience, although God is omniscient, he knows all things, he's created those in which he's speaking of. But the very fact that his and his character is greater than anyone else. His very character makes his witness greater than all others. The witness of God has never been found false, and he alone cannot lie. If you were to look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, it speaks to the character of God. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. A God who cannot lie has promised. There is no reason to doubt him. There's every reason to believe his witness, his testimony. And so the implication is clear. If we receive the witness of man who is characterized by falsehood, if we do that often, Romans uh, chapter 3 and verse 13 reminds us that in our sinful fallen state, we are characterized by fallibility and falseness. And so if we are so easily and in a pattern of life willing to accept and understand and receive the testimony and the witness of man in our own fangled way, how much more should we receive the unparalleled witness of an unimpeachable God, Almighty God the Father? This is what John is setting up. This is, this is an undeniable source of testimony. And so we see also the Father's witness is concerned with the witness of the Son. This unparalleled witness of the Father to the believer. We look at it in comparison with man. We see that it's superior to man. But we also see that this witness, his testifying, is concerned with the witness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The text tells us this. This is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. That's the... That's the uh, um, the content of the testimony. And so notice the words witness and then the word record in the text. These two words in the English here are speaking of and are in the Greek the same word. And the word testified is the verbal equivalent throughout the passage. So this giving of a record, this witnessing, and this testifying are speaking of the same thing. This presenting of this case, this, this, this uh, telling, this witnessing of the truth. And so throughout the word of God, we see given the testimony of his son. We can trace this from the Old Testament prophetic passages all the way through the New Testament. He is the theme of the Bible from cover to cover. It is Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of the Spirit, do you remember? One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to point people and to testify of the Son, not of Himself. Here we see God the Father testifying through His spoken word, His revealed word of the Son. This is the theme. 
And it is substantiated by many sources. It is true. And so here the Apostle John says, since you receive the testimony of man for much less reasons in life, how much more you should receive the testimony of God the Father. That's the unparalleled witness of the Father to the believer. But he goes further. He goes deeper. As we look at verses 10, 11, and 12, we see the unparalleled witness of the Father within the believer. That's right. God the Father testifies within the believer of this reality. The witnesses of verses 6 all the way through 9 up until now have all been external. They've all been external witnesses. But there is one witness yet who remains, one who can be heard only by the believer, and it is the witness within the Christian. Have you ever taken someone's word as truth and then wondered if you had done the right thing afterwards? I mean, am I the only one that's ever doubted or, or ever regretted taking someone's word or doubted it? Here's an example. So we don't go to the restaurant a whole lot. You know, when you have a family of six, it just is kind of expensive. So when we do, it's a special treat for my children. We remind them we don't do this all the time. So we go to the restaurant, and I think we're using a gift card that somebody had given us. We were excited to do this, and you sit down, and you look to order, especially at a place you haven't been to before. And, and, the, and the server comes up to you, and sometimes you're just making conversation. I'll ask a question like, hey, what do you recommend? What's really, really good here? You know, and sometimes you can gauge how well the server knows where they work by what comes out of their mouth next. You know, sometimes it's that kind of a high school age, like, oh, I don't know. It's all pretty good. I mean, it's all a favorite of mine. You know, oh, boy. Okay, no help whatsoever. And then you get the overzealous person that's like, oh, I would have the blah, 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 you know, and start naming all these things and all the ingredients, and you're like, okay, too much information. And then you get the server that's just right. You're like, you know what? You can waste your time looking at the menu, but what you need to get is this one right here. This is the best in the house. They're making a special today. You won't regret it. I get it every time. <laughs> I think I'll have one of those. I'll have what you're having, right? And then have you ever had this happen? The person that recommends it, the food comes out, it comes on the table, and you start eating it, and you're like, are you kidding me? This is what you recommended? And I'm the kind of guy that's kind of bashful. I don't go back to the server and say, really? You blew it. This is disgusting. You know, some people do that. I know. I just, I don't like to bite the hand that feeds me. I don't know what happens behind the, I mean, I mean, I want to be kind too, right? But you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you just take somebody's word for it, and then you regret it afterwards. It's not too far off to draw a parallel here that John is writing to Christians who are experiencing that kind of angst a little bit. I know, I'm speaking like them for a minute here, right? This is not the scriptures. But maybe they're thinking this way. John, I know that you have taught us. I know the apostles have said that we can place our faith and trust in Jesus alone. But there's this really popular, trendy theology right now that the Gnostics are talking about, and it's coming from the Greeks, and it's saying that, I don't, I don't think Jesus is really the Son of God. I think he was a really wise, good guy, and no doubt, like when he was baptized, John, you remember, you did this, that the Holy Spirit filled him and empowered him, and there were miracles. 
I just don't know that if I die today that I can trust that just faith in him alone is enough. I'm not certain anymore, in fact, that I have eternal life at all. John says, you can take my word, the word of the shedding of the blood on Calvary, the, the word that speaks to you and draws and leads within you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can take the, the word of the testimony of an expert centurion that watched the Savior physically die on the cross. You can take hundreds of witnesses that watch his baptism. You can take the entire scripture. Oh, is that not enough? Take the word of God himself as the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God and He alone will save. No good works, no going to church, no water baptism, no living a life of, of do this or do that. It's Jesus alone for eternal life that will matter at the moment of your death. There's a ministry that goes along within the, the, within the believer that testifies and cries out through the ministry of the triune God and the Holy Spirit through us, you have done the right thing in believing me. And so this unparalleled witness of the Father in the believer, we see the reality of this witness. We see several things. We see the reality we see the, of, this, of this witness. We see the reception of the witness by faith, and we see the rejection of the witness. Let's go back to the first of the three, the reality of the witness. Although the other witnesses were objective and outward, this one witness is subjective and inward. Nevertheless, it is a genuine witness that should not be ignored and is correct when we have this inward witness that is also correctly, accurately in line with Scripture. Remember this, folks. The Holy Spirit never leads and moves and works in a way that is contradictory to the Word of God. I think we need to be careful. We need to be extra careful and give extra pause when we say, well, I believe the Lord is just leading me to do this. Because really, honestly, it should be followed up with, and the Bible clearly supports that. You see? We need to be careful with this. So the reality of the witness. See, the source of the witness clearly comes from God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes there, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is this inward um, witnessing and testimony that I'm speaking of here. It's not any sort of, woo weirdness going on, but this is the Spirit of God testifying within our spirit that we indeed are the children of God. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, both Romans 8.16 and Galatians 4.6 both substantiate that God sends the witness within the believer, that the witness has come through the Spirit within the believer. This is the source of the witness. It comes clearly from God. The possessor of the witness is the believer. Verse 10, our text says, He that believeth the Son of God. It's he that believeth. Do you believe? Then you possess. The location of the witness is within the believer. The believer 
the text says, look at it, hath the witness within himself, which means it is an internal witness. It is not impersonal. It is not detached. It is not something distant that has to be gained through some sort of special knowledge. It is placed within us internally at the moment of salvation. The substance of the witness is also eternal life. The possessor, the location, the substance, it is eternal life. John writes, and this is the record, that God hath given us eternal life. There are several realities about this life that you must know. Number one, it is a providential gift. It is by God's design in God's time in our obedient response to Him. Secondly, it's a past gift. It's something that once took place and continues on. There is a time. This is not something that evolves over a life. There is a moment in time that maybe through years you come to understand clearer. There is a moment in time for the believer when there has been a repentance of sin, a confession of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Thirdly, there's a present, it is a present possession. It's something that we carry with us. It's not, oh, I once had it and I lost it. It's presence. It's present with us. It continues with us. It is a permanent, eternal gift, fourthly. And fifthly, it is a personal gift in that the text tells us, those two words, to us. He hath given to us. It is a personal gift for us, for you, for those who believe. So we've seen the reality of the witness in this unparalleled witness of the Father and the believer, but we also see the reception of the witness is by faith alone. By faith alone. He that believeth hath the witness. John, on purpose, did not write, He that believeth and worketh hard. I just tried to come up with a King James sounding word there, right? Worketh, right? He that believeth and is born into the right family. He did not write that. He that believeth and is a member of a local church. No. He that believeth and is immersed in water. No. He that believeth, stop, hath eternal life. This is what John is writing. Faith is the necessary ingredient. In fact, faith has always been the necessary ingredient for salvation from the Old Testament, the beginning, all the way to the end throughout the New Testament. Always by faith. This eternal witness, eternal life, Christ himself, all must be received by faith. Nothing else. This witness results in eternal life. Eternal life. This is the result that the witness is speaking of. And this is the record, John says. Do you notice verse 11? And this is the record, literally witness. We covered that. So this is the record, the witness and the testimony, that God hath given to us eternal life. This is what John is saying to those doubtful believers when he first wrote to them, his first readers. You see, the Gnostics taught that salvation came through some sort of intellectual ascent that drifted into some form of superior knowledge. This is what the Gnostics of the day were teaching. And unfortunately, 
undiscerning believers were listening to them. But rather, it is the result of believing the witness of the Father that brings about salvation. The text says it is given to us. It doesn't say that it's learned by us. It doesn't say that it's earned by us. The text says it is given to us. And so the witness involves receiving the Son. And this life is in His Son, the passage says. This life is in His Son. If you have His Son, you have eternal life. If you possess the Son, you possess eternal life. You cannot have life without having the Son because eternal life and the Son of God are inseparable, good theology shows us. This is what the Word of God says. Yet many today, unfortunately, and many of our neighbors in this community will teach or, or they will rather foolishly seek eternal life apart from the Son of God. And the Word of God is clear. Friends, if you don't have the Son, you do not have eternal life. For life is only found through and in the Son. The Bible clearly teaches that there are only two responses to the gift of eternal life. There is no in-between. This is counterculture type of language to say there's no in-between. To say that there's no subjective sort of other view. Church, do you remember? There, was only two, there are only two responses to the gift of eternal life. It is either reception or it is rejection. There is no other choice. There is no other way. Reception or rejection of eternal life. Both responses carry eternal consequences. Speaking of the rejection of the witness, as we wrap up this morning, the opposite of receiving the witness is to, in a rebellious, defiant way, reject the witness of God. Verse 10 tells us the result of rejecting the witness. Do you see it? He who rejects the witness makes God a liar. Sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Because it is. To make God a liar. How do you make God a liar? By rejecting refusing what he testifies of. It is complete and utter foolishness to call God a liar. And yet this is often done by way of unbelief, which comes with consequences. The, the passage says, he that believeth, or excuse me, John, the Gospel of John, rather, chapter 3 and verse 18 says, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so he who rejects the witness does not have the Son. The only way we know anything at all about the Son is through the testimony of God's Word. We call it His special revelation through His Word. And so to reject the Word is to reject the Son of God. And John makes very clear to us, he who rejects the witness does not have eternal life. Verse 12. Just as one cannot have the Son without having life, so one cannot reject the Son and possess 
life, eternal life. I mean, I don't know how else to say it any plainer than what John says. No son, no life. That's what John is saying. Folks, this is a great encouragement to believers that have ever began to experience a shadow of doubt. On the other hand, I don't want to just gloss over and just call everybody a believer. That's between you and the Lord. There are times that the Word of God and as the church and as believers, we discern and we can examine and we can look and, and we have to make judgment calls based on the Scripture and what we observe and see. We see all throughout First John, we've been studying all year long, all the indicators, all the characteristics of truly being born again. And when you look at these things as a whole, but if any way, if you've ever rejected, if you continue in here now or rejecting the Son of God, then you do not possess eternal life. And at that moment of the Lord saying, it is your time for your life on this earth to be over. There is no time. There is no last minute opportunity and chance to make sure that's right. Today is the day of salvation. Eternal life is a gift which cannot be earned. It is found in Christ and cannot be a possessed apart from him. So any religious system which, which does not give Christ his proper place cannot bring about eternal life. Oh, you know this, the world is full of systems, religious systems, religious ideas, religious practices. Here is the measurement. Here is what we compare it to. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. God's witness about Christ is more than adequate evidence to produce confident faith in eternal life. And people who reject Christ because of insufficient evidence, it's not insufficient evidence at all. They may claim it's insufficient evidence, but people that reject Christ based on some sort of evidential um, uh, 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 deducing of, of evidence, it's a rejection of the evidence, for it is ample, it is clear, and it is from God who is infallible. God's testimony about his son has put the matter beyond all reasonable doubt. Faith in accepting God's testimony as reliable. Faith is accepting that as reliable. And then it is acting on the basis of the testimony by believing in Christ alone for salvation. Dear friends, nothing is more important than possessing eternal life. Have you trusted him? Or have you rejected him? Have you believed the testimony of God the Father? Or do you reject him? Nothing is more important. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unparalleled witness to and in the believer. Father in heaven, we thank you for passages like this that encourage us, remind us, reassure us that at salvation we gained and today we possess eternal life. Help us to reject, cause us to reject any teaching that would said other, say otherwise. Help us to examine carefully what is taught and what is said and what is believed. If it's anything apart from Jesus Christ not being the 
the, the, the Son of God. Lord, we receive Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Your word tells us that. The Holy Spirit testifies of that. We thank you for that testimony. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as their Savior and rejects that testimony, Lord, I pray that they would not put that off, but right here, right now, right now, where they're seated, that they would pray to you, Almighty Father. They would recognize their fallen, sinful state and their ability to do nothing about it. That they would receive the gift of salvation by placing their faith and trust in the finished, completed work, redemptive, atoning work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. Lord, I pray that you would cause us, keep us strong in your word, accurate in our doctrine, so that we live sure, mightily, and victoriously in this world today, awaiting your son's return, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.